Good morning, everybody. Here we go for the final time this week. Thanks to Julian King, Michael Cariana, summer breakfast. Well, not really summer around Sydney this morning, has it been? Uh, very, very drizzly from the word go early today, and it's going to continue. In fact, showers around today, tomorrow, Saturday, uh, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, a top of 24 degrees today. Thanks for joining us. You're listening in via SEN 1170 AM in Sydney, wherever you tuned in via the SEN app. It's Friday, January 20. We've got a lot on our plate this morning and a lot of our focus is going to go towards the Australian Open. When it comes to the rugby league issue of the day, well, you know what? It's been cut and paste since Monday, really, hasn't it? And we can continue this discussion this morning, if you like, around the Rugby League Players Association v the NRL. But I've really got to ask you the question, where's it gone in the last 24 to 48 hours? How much further has it progressed? There was a lot of social media activity last night from the Rugby League players' side. But again, it's, it's a lot of hashtagging. We're united. There's really nothing further at this stage to report on that. Aside from the fact that negotiations are continuing, a lot of the public think that a lot of the players are being greedy in what they're asking for. The Players Association's trying to get through all of this noise to push their case. And meanwhile, the NRL haven't said a word, don't need to buy into it. So you see where we're at? A complete stalemate here. 41 days, I think it is now, until the season starts. We've been on this all week since the players decided to take the first part of their action, which was not do any NRL media. The next part of the action, to me, is the interesting part. And that's my biggest question hanging out there. What happens next? But at the moment, we're in a holding pattern, folks. We can continue that discussion today, but try and take it further down the road for me, if you wish. 0457 736 736 is the text line or give me a call this morning. It's open slather on this Friday. Got plenty of time. Got the next three hours together. Uh, one 1170 On the sporting menu today in about 25 minutes time, straight after the 9.30 news, we'll be catching up with Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan. Uh, they're already taking the fight to Peter Volandis. Eddie Jones is already deep into the fight and he hasn't officially really taken over yet. What a landmark move this has been. So we've got a lot to cover with Hamish McLennan, obviously, about the state of the game and, and how this all came to pass. And we've been talking about this at length as well. And one thing that I did tell you when Hamish McLennan came in as chairman is, look out, folks, because things are going to happen. This guy knows how to get things done. He's a leading businessman. He knows the world of sport. He has an intense passion for rugby union, and he was not going to go in there and just sit around and take a look at what's happened since. Now, the next part of the puzzle, and I'm talking about uh, Rugby World Cup and how they managed to get on the front foot with that, the next part of this is what happens on the field for the Wallabies because everything in Rugby Union comes from the top down. When the Wallabies do well, the game does well here. At the moment, the game hasn't been doing well because the Wallabies haven't been delivering those results that we'd all love to see. They've been trying their backsides off, just haven't been getting there. Eddie Jones, well, he's already come out swinging. And like I said, taking the fight to PVL. But the moment that we heard that Eddie Jones 
was announced as coach, was going to replace Dave Rennie as coach. And it's a five-year deal. It covers the British and Irish Lions Tour. It covers the next World Cup cycle. It covers the Wallaroos as well. But there's one clear, distinct aim. And Eddie's put it perfectly. The whole thing is to win the World Cup in 2023. Bang. Just like that. No mixed messages. None of this palaver going on about let's talk about it's just bang. We are here. I'm here to win the 2023 Rugby World Cup. The whole thing is about us winning the Rugby World Cup. So Hamish McLennan joining us. Brett Phillips, our tennis expert, will cover uh, everything at, a, at the Australian Open. Chris Nelson has some tips for us today and tonight, in fact. They're racing on the Sunshine Coast. They'll be racing at Randwick and Doombin tomorrow. And looking forward to catching up with Alex Wilkinson, Sydney FC captain, back on the pitch this weekend for the first time in three months. Had a pelvis injury in round one of the A-League and has been on the sidelines ever since. Gone through an operation and he's back in action as the A-League officially goes to North Hobart Oval tomorrow in Tasmania and a sign of expansion further down the line. So as you can see, we've got a busy, a busy program. Our hot topic this morning, and here's where I want your opinion. Does the Australian Open need to change its scheduling? Simple as that. Did you stay up this morning until after 4am to watch Andy Murray and Thanasi Kokonakis on Margaret Court Arena? So the details, Murray wins it. This guy's made of true grit, the right stuff. 46677666375. Five hours and 45 minutes on court. It finished at eight minutes past four this morning, which is half past five or just after five o'clock, I should say, PM over there in Great Britain on Thursday night. So for them, in terms of an audience, it's good times. For us, not so much. It's the second latest finish to a match at the Australian Open. I was there in 08 when Leighton Hewitt and Marcus Bagdadis went deep 4.34 a.m. they finished. That's what time they finished the match. And you know what happens after the match. I'll get to that in just a sec. It's also the second longest match at the Australian Open. So five hours and 45 minutes, just short of five hours and 53 minutes that Nadal and Djokovic um, duked it out. So do they need to change the scheduling? one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 is the open line number. Before we dig in, let's go straight to the open line. You pick up the phone, you give us a call, and if we've got the time, we'll put you to it. You know what? We've always got time for you. Michael from Possums Creek in northern New South Wales, first up. Go for it. You watched every single minute of this match. Every single second, I could not go to sleep. It was I was on the edge of my seat the whole game. It was just... I I, I I was just you just couldn't I couldn't take myself away from it. It was just every point, every single point that the, the way the game was played the, 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 between these two players. But not only that, the crowd, the crowd was, was going for both players. There was no favouritism at all for Kokonakis. It was just the points were just enthralling. I've just never seen anything like it. And and there's nothing we can do about changing the schedule about when games like that come on. It's mm. just, uh, this is, this is, welcome to the big time tennis. You know, this is Grand Slam tennis. Like, you, you play your game, you, you have to prepare yourself for anything at Grand Slam. And that's why I guess it, it can be sometimes a bit underestimated 
what it takes to win these games. Not only have you got to win seven games, you've actually got to you've got to be playing sometimes. For, like Kokonakis has actually played. They are saying he played. He's played every day of the tournament because yeah. he, he went into for Monday into Tuesday, and then he had the Tuesday to Tuesday. Then he played Wednesday into Thursday. So he's literally played four days in a row, but. It's just, that's just how it is. And, and I just, like, Andy Murray, like, oh, my God. At the end, uh, I was just so proud as a tennis watcher. It didn't bother me who won that game. It was just like, to see what Andy Murray's come back from, with his, he's got a metal hip. He's like, he's, he, just to see how he just, oh, and, and the intensity that those guys were playing at. <laughs> it was just, it was like, the points were won. They weren't given away. They yeah. were won. They were like, it was just slogged. Slugfest. It was just a. Oh, that's what I stayed. I just knew when I was watching it. I'm going. I'm in this right to the end, and this is going. You just knew that it was going to go to five sets. Even when he had him five two, and oh look, I, I just got to share too. There was one point there where the umpire, um, he was. The umpire was pretty good with the time in between the points because there was a lot of crowds yelling out, and then and sometimes the players would have to stop just before they served, and and there was just this one turning point when. The umpire called Kokonakis when he was literally about to throw the ball up. She didn't need to do it, and he absolutely lost it. And that was a turning point in the game. That was when Murray came back. He ended up breaking him that game. He had him 5-2 in in that third set. And I think that was maybe even at 5-4. He was serving for for the set in the match, and that happened. And he lost it, and he ended up losing the next two points, and that's when it went five all. And, and, and away she goes, changer. yeah. Mate, it's great to hear that you're still buzzing. I uh, hope you don't have to work today because you might have to catch up on some sleep. Good on you, Michael. Thank you for that. A good match report as well. But it does beg the question because the debate's already started. Now, I've got my opinion on this, and I'll get to that in just a sec. But let's hear from those who were smack bang in the middle of it. Andy Murray post-match had this to say about the late finish. Yeah, I mean, look, it's obviously amazing to win to win the match, but I also I want to go to bed now. I, I'm like, you know, it's great, you know, great, but I, I want I want to sleep. Does tennis need to change this business of playing at three, four in the morning? Yeah, because it doesn't. I don't know who it's beneficial for. It's like a match like that. Yeah, we come here after the match, and that's what the discussion is. And rather than it being like epic Murray Kokonakis match, it's like you know, it ends in a bit of a you know, a bit of a farce, and no, amazingly, people stayed until the end, and I, I really appreciate people doing that and creating an atmosphere for us at the end. I really appreciate that, and some people obviously need to work the following day and everything. But like, if my child was a ball kid, you know, for a tournament, and they're coming home at five in the morning, as a parent, I'm snapping at that. Like, it's not, it's not beneficial for them. It's not beneficial for the umpires, the officials. I don't think it's amazing for the fans. It's not good for the players, so yeah, we talk about it all the time. It's been spoken about for years, but when you start the night matches late and have conditions like that, these things are, are going to happen. I was I was surprised by what Andy Murray said there. He's been around a long time. He's got a very good mature outlook on the game. He's been through absolutely everything, and I've got the utmost respect for him. He blows me away how tough he is. But I was surprised that he was asking the question, who is it beneficial for? When he knows the answer, who's it beneficial for in the end? It's the players. Because 
there's a whole stack of reasons why they play those matches and back up on doubling up matches on centre court in particular. That one was played on Margaret Court Arena because the broadcasters need to fill their space in prime time. Now, if you go back to the option of having just one match, one match from seven o'clock and say it's a women's match, which averages around an hour and a half, then you're over and done with it at 8.30. Sounds good to us, but it's not good to those that are paying the money that end up back in the tennis player's pocket. And it's a long line down the list. But you get where I'm coming from. He knows the answer to that. And I, I don't think he's having a whinge as such there, but I think it... What would that have been? Possibly 5am this morning. Maybe we should cut him some slack. And in terms of ball kids, and if you're snapping as a parent that your ball kid's coming home at 5am in the morning after that, ask the ball kid. A, it's holidays. And B, the ball kid's just seen something extraordinary and been out there. I don't reckon there was a ball kid last night. Might have been exhausted. But I don't reckon there's one there last night into this morning who said this wasn't beneficial for me. This is something that I'll remember for the rest of my time. And let's not forget, these things don't happen every week. They don't happen every night. This 4 a.m. finish is an anomaly more than an outcome that happens often at an Australian Open or any other major. His brother, Jamie Murray, says on Twitter, it's time to move to only one match at the night sessions at Grand Slams. That's easy in theory, but it doesn't work. He says, this is the best outcome for all singles players. We can't continue to have players compete into the wee hours of the morning. Rubbish for everyone involved. Players, fans, event staff. Martina Navratilova said, it's essential we create better rules in tennis regarding the weather. Huh? (laughs) Light and wind. She said, this is on Twitter. In brackets, light and wind. This is bizarre to me. And again, a very well-respected voice. And starting times or cut-off times for matches. Murray and Kokonakis will finish around 4am. Crazy. No other sport does this. She's right on that. Very few other sports in the world that you can think of go deep into the morning. And 10 past four in the morning as a finish time is nowhere near the time that they're going to get off and get back, get off court, for instance. They've still got to do their media commitments there. They've got to do drug testing. They've got to go into the media room after. Then they've got to warm down. Then they get themselves back. So weirdly enough, The biggest winner out of last night, this morning, is also kind of the biggest loser because Andy Murray now has a shorter turnaround time than his next opponent. He's got to go back and refresh and restart, and he's behind the clock. Obviously, Thanasi Kokonakis is one of the biggest, is the other biggest loser by losing the match. Here's what Mark Woodford had to say this morning on SEN about this late finish and whether we need to relook at the schedules a difficult one because you know the grand slams given the the physical battle the the wear and tear you know best of five set format it just drains you and for for murray you know probably gave him the longest um rest period between his first round victory Mm. which was another titanic battle uh to 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 get to uh, you know the starting line last night i understand from uh, the tournament organizer uh, point of view um and, and look i'm i'm involved with davis cup and and i know that you know it happens you know in that format as well we've had instances where matches have finished very late and, and then you're concerned about the the fans 
um, the players, mm. you know, they they want the fans to be around and and help them elevate their game and the support and and yet you know who, who is going to stick around to watch a match at at four a.m. Um, I know a crowd shot last night of uh, Murray Kokonakis and it was probably about you know 40 percent uh full and it just is it's one of those unfortunate instances with the batches that lead in beforehand they're the ones that uh that those matches take so much time and you, you know you look you can't pick the length of a match as it starts you just have to to go with it unfortunately another part here is it's a global event it's in our backyard but this is a worldwide event it's one of four majors and it's worldwide audience. So in our backyard, the timing doesn't work. In Scotland, it was beautiful. It was five o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening. So it's a much better outcome from them. So there's there's two sides to this. The other part is the women's match that started second up on Rod Laver Arena last night started an hour later than the Murray Kokonakis match. So you've got to look across the board here. Ons Jabour and Vondrasova. And Jabour, the second seed, got knocked out of that. Didn't start till 11.30, but they only went an hour and 41. So they finished well and truly after midnight, after one o'clock. And meanwhile, the men, because of the fact that they play five sets and go longer, finish later. What's got to give, if you want to reschedule and not have 4 a.m. finishes, go back to having one match at night and you have a look at the effect that that's going to have down the line because that one match will more than likely be a men's match because the broadcasters will absolutely jump up and down that they need more than an hour and a half's worth of tennis in prime time, or they'll just cut the amount of money that they're paying. And that'll kick off an argument that nobody wins. So we just have to live with it. It's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. And it doesn't happen all the time. I'd hate to be in their position I don't want to be Andy Murray, Orthodoxy, Kokonakis or anyone going deep into the night and then having to back up at a gruelling tennis tournament and try and make your way through after um, little refreshment time in terms of warm down, etc., etc. Let me know your thoughts on that this morning. We'll get to more of our tennis. Alex Demonor goes through. Alexi Popram, what about his story yesterday? Absolutely fantastic. Um, a whole stack of Aussies in action today, but all in the doubles. 13 of them will be in action. The Sydney Thunder last night got back on the winner's train against the Melbourne Renegades by eight wickets at Monica Oval in Canberra. I'm going to put Monica on my bucket list for BBL. Just watching it last night thinking, you know, it's nice and different. Get down to the nation's capital. It, it's just a different setting, and it looks like a beautiful setting as well. The Thunder had an eight-wicket win. Tonight, it's a doubleheader. Well, today, 4 o'clock this afternoon, Strikers v Scorchers. That'll be a good one at Adelaide Oval. And then Brisbane Heat uh, later on this evening against the Hobart Hurricanes at the Gabba. 0457 736 736. Got your thoughts coming through on the scheduling factor and also where next in the players' dispute in rugby league. Uh, your text messages coming through on all fronts, tennis, uh, football, rugby league and rugby union. So we'll get to those. Our two losses yesterday on day three of the Australian Open, uh, rather day four, Kim Birrell out. And as we know, Thanasi Kokonakis out as well. So the two left standing in the singles, uh, both in the men's, Alex Dimonor, who beat Adrian Manorino from France, in three and a half hours, seven six four six six four six one. Now plays uh, plays Benjamin Bonzi, another Frenchman who's ranked forty eighth in the world. And how about Alexi Poprin?
defeating Taylor Fritz, top 10 player in the world, the American. And that one went over four hours, four hours and two minutes. And the emotion that Alexi Popperin showed on court and after the match was unbelievable. Uh, you guys were just, <laughs> just incredible. Oh my God, this is crazy, man. I really, I really couldn't have done it without you guys. Oh, this, this win is, it means so much to me. Um, I had the toughest year last year. Um, didn't win many matches. I've won as many matches this year as I won the whole of last year. Um, so, and it's only January, so. And I was talking to you, some of your team, and we know the type of pre-season that you put in. How much of that paid off today? Four hours of 26 minutes in the previous match. Today, four hours and two minutes. But how much did that pre-season just give you the belief today that you could win that match? Uh, pre-season, I put my head down. I worked as hard as I possibly could. I don't want that feeling that I had last year ever again. And that, that, that I wrote down to myself in my head. And, and I'm, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to try and keep going all the way, man. I love this feeling, and I want more of this feeling. I want you guys to have this feeling more. Man, I love you guys so much. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, if you're not on the Alexi Popperin train, you're not trying. Oh, as an Australian, uh, he's got Ben Shelton ranked 89th in the world, the American, in round three. So Demonor and Popperin uh, both through to round three. We lost some big names, however, yesterday. The men's second seed, Kasper Ruud, is out. He went down to Jensen Brooksby, men's number 12 seed. Alexander Sverev went out. The women's number two seed, Ons Jabert, has gone out as well. But Novak Djokovic is through after a four-set win yesterday. So he goes through to round three. Time for the news. Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan coming up soon. Thank you, Vanessa. We'll keep you updated with the scores as we move into today's play in about an hour and a half's time. There's no doubt about it. The biggest news of the week in sporting circles has been Eddie Jones being appointed as Wallabies coach. Dave Rennie has been let go by Rugby Australia. So it's a five-year deal. We've been through the details. On the line is Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan, who joins us, our special guest this morning. Good morning, Hamish. Morning, Matt. How are you, mate? Good, thank you. Why Eddie? He's the best coach in the world. He's an Aussie. He's a classic Sydney sider. He understands rugby and our competitive uh, dynamic here locally and up in Queensland and he'll deliver results for us, big results. How much did you have your eyes on Eddie uh, leading into the decision by English Rugby Football Union? You wouldn't have known what they were going to do, but did you have him on the radar anyway? Yeah, he was absolutely on the radar. So we've been quite public saying we've been talking to him since November of... uh, 2021 and but we, we were thinking about 24 onwards so we've got the Rugby World Cup coming to Australia in 27 so we thought he, he could do the Lions and the Rugby World Cup and then we literally fell off our chair uh, when he got cut by the RFU and so we then had a poor spring tour and you know we didn't perform to our expectations and so we just thought let's to capture uh, Eddie and get him in for 23, give ourselves the best opportunity to win in 23. So if he wasn't cut by England, would Dave Rennie still be coach, Hamish? Yes, he would. And how did that go down with those discussions that you had with Dave? Oh, look, it's, it's you know, look, it's very difficult. And Dave's a very honourable, good guy. But uh, we, we all live by the scoreboard and everything that we do in life. And so... 
he was at 37, 38% win ratio. He'd, he'd actually made some great strides with the team, but uh, Eddie was at 73% uh, in England, and that was after, you know, um, not, not the best of sort of autumn tours for himself. So we we just sort of decided that we had to sort of reinvigorate the Wallaby camp. And also, as you know, uh, Eddie's also looking after the, the Wallaroos or overseeing that program. So we just felt that it was an opportunity too good to miss. And and quite frankly, and that's, that's the thing when you look at Dave and all the coaches, it's very hard to secure coaches out of cycle. They tend to go for three or four year blocks leading into World Cup. So Eddie got cut loose and we jumped on him. How did the players react to this and how much impact or how much did you talk to the players about the decision that was that was being taken? Oh, we, we didn't consult them at all. So, um, you know, it was a decision made by the board. So we oversee and administer the whole game. So uh, the board felt that it was the right thing to do and it was the unanimous decision of the board to hire Eddie. Um, I think... Uh, some players are a little bit unsettled. Others are really up for it. I've spoken to a couple of them, um, and you know the feedback's positive. But that, that, don't forget, um, you know, players players want to get selected by coaches, and then you sort of change you change that dynamic, which I actually think is quite healthy in terms of just sort of revving them all up. And so there, there will be change. There'll be continued change at RA on the administration side, who Eddie's. Uh, decides to sort of select so we, we live in a very fluid world um but look on the whole it was the right thing to do and i'm very comfortable with the decision what are the logistics of eddie coming coming back into the fold i know that he's also got the japanese consultancy job that he'll continue to do and that was part of his deal with england rugby union as well so when does he get the feet on the ground sunday week at the sydney seventh and so uh, he will attend that event. So he flies back on Sunday morning and he's coming out to, to watch a few of the games. So, you know, if, if you're in the vicinity, that'll be an amazing tournament too. So just, just come along. Uh, it's a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. It'll be fantastic. 28 teams will be uh, will be playing in that global tournament in Sydney. And so um, the logistics are we're putting him on a plane and he'll be he'll be down here in just over a week. And you and I both know that you know if you're in the vicinity of Eddie, you know that you know that there's noise around him. How much when you did this deal? Obviously, everything's focused towards success on the field. We we get that, but you know what Eddie brings yeah. as well, and very different personalities to Dave Rennie. And nothing against Dave, but Dave Rennie's not a salesman in the same way that Eddie Jones is. So, did that play any part? in your thinking? Because you know, and as chairman of Rugby Australia, you're trying to get this game back on people's lips, back in on the on the front and back pages of the newspapers, and Eddie's going to deliver that for you. Well, I, I, I would argue we've actually got it on everyone's lips now. Already, I mean, it's yep. just been wall-to-wall coverage everywhere. So, look, it, it actually wasn't the main driver. It doesn't hurt. Um, I, I like the fact that Eddie's such a strong advocate for the game, and the more people we have promoting the game and uh, and, and what we're doing, it, it's, it's obviously a really good thing for us. So um, it, it certainly helps you understand that at a grassroots level, you really need to talk the game up. Um, but the most important thing is getting winning Wallabies. That will provide the best coverage that we could, we could ever have, and he'll do that for us. Uh, the focus on finances of the game has been very solid over the past few years, and obviously you've been front and centre at that. Eddie doesn't come cheap, yeah. and you've now got a coach that you've had to park until the end of the World Cup. How do you manage the finances, and is it worth the investment of the two payments that you're going to have 
running simultaneously? The, the goal for rugby in Australia, we, you know, we, we make, you know, don't hold me to the exact number, 120 million in revenue. The goal is to make it 200 and 250 million over the next sort of five, five years. So well, I'm not looking for sort of um, incremental change. I don't want to add another sort of $5 million worth of revenue. I want to, I really want to accelerate it. So you've got to make big calls. And, and the easiest thing for us to do and for, for myself to do would just be keep everything um, as it is, the status quo. And so we're taking big swings, but we've, we've reduced. So in 2021, I started, we lost uh, over $25 million. $7 million last year was the loss, and then we'll make a profit this year. So everything's heading in the, in the right direction, but it just shows you how difficult it is to sort of spin all these plates. But um, it's an investment that we're worth taking. Um, Eddie will provide great value um, if and when we start winning at a Wallaby and a Wallaroo level. So it's, it's actually a good investment for us, and I'm very comfortable with it. Yeah, and the if and when, just on that, I, I played some audio just earlier because when this announcement dropped, Hamish, I, I was of the opinion straight away that this is all about 2023 Rugby World Cup. I and mean, that's number one target. It's a five-year deal and there's more off the back of it. But success at the Rugby World Cup is what this is all about. And you know what the question's going to be. What if Eddie doesn't deliver success at the Rugby World Cup? Well, look, you... You can't predict the future, but where we got to at a board level was uh, the short term is the long term at the moment. And so we had to focus on who was going to deliver us the best chance of doing well uh, at the 23 World Cup. So just look at the stats, take the emotion and, you know, who, who all the coaches are out of it. We think on paper, when you look at Eddie's results, he'll give us a better result. Um, and we also have to think more long-term. So my criticism of rugby uh, administration in the past, it became very short-term thinking. So you can't say to Eddie, oh, look, we'll, uh, we'll take you for this year and then we'll reevaluate our options for next year. You've got to start putting markers down for the long-term. So we've got the Lions in 25, we've got the World Cup in 27 back here. Um, and, you know, we've got to back him over the long term. And look, we, we backed Dave for over three years, we're very public in our support. What, what changed was Eddie got cut by the RFU and we would have been dumb not to talk to him and then reevaluate re our position. Had, had Dave won five out of five uh, in the spring tour or four out of five, if we'd beaten France, and, uh, and Ireland, the top two nations in the world, which, which arguably we should have won those games, they would still be there. What about the Italy game? Oh. What about the Italy game? Don't, don't get me started. <laughs> that, that was just a nightmare. I was there. So disappointing. You know, it was sort of a strategy that didn't pay off. But, but, but did that, know, never but did that change your thinking on Dave Rennie? Did it put a pause? Uh, look, look, the media, the media has speculated a lot about that. I mean, had we won France or Ireland and still lost Italy? I mean, look, it, Dave, yeah. Dave's view was it's back a whole lot of young players um, and, and we'll sort of bench some of the more experienced ones. Uh, you know, that, you know, it, uh, you know, we probably could have lived with that because you really need to perform against France and Ireland. And, you know, we just didn't win those games. So... Unfortunately, you know, it was um, you know, it was a difficult decision, but at the end of the day, I think it's the right one that was made with Eddie. 
And a final one. You've been generous with your time. I appreciate it. A final one. So rugby union versus rugby league. There's already been some tit for tat with Eddie back and forth in the papers and, and out there with Peter Volandis. Is it gloves off now against the NRL on all fronts? You're going to take them on on all fronts, including having a look at their player ranks. Uh, look, we are, and uh, we are going to look at their player ranks, but uh, the, the, the two codes will coexist forever, and they'll live and flow, and so I think uh, the NRL have done a better job of marketing and packaging the game up, but we're two completely different games, and so we're international, you know, you can play in Paris either for the Olympics, at the Olympics for Australia, um, or go to the Rugby World Cup if you're a player, and uh, I just think we're very, very different, different style uh, of play and obviously highly differentiated. So um, I think there'll be competitive rivalry and tension. I think it's great for the readers and the listeners. Times are changing, Hamish. Appreciate your, your time this morning and uh, we will catch up again soon. Back to chat, Matt. Thank you. Bye, Thank mate. you. Rugby Australia Chairman Hamish McLennan there. So it is a five-year deal. We go to the 2023 World Cup, of course, this year, and then the British and Irish Lions Tour in a couple of years, and then a 2027 home World Cup, and Eddie Jones will be in town very soon. Before we know it, the Eddie show will arrive. It's already starting to make its way into the press, and what happens on the field will dictate everything in terms of where Rugby Union sits. But the finances are starting to turn around. The coach has been replaced in Dave Rennie into somebody who's an absolute salesman and showman. How that translates onto the field will be the next part of the puzzle. What did you make of all that? 0457 736 736. Let me know your thoughts or give me a call. 1300 01 1170. It's approaching a quarter to 10. Just in response to that chat there with Hamish McLennan, Ashman on the line says, uh, Australian rugby's already got its money's worth with Eddie. So much coverage of rugby everywhere. Cheers. Well, I'd agree with Hamish on that. The impact's already being felt. It's starting already to get the column inches back in the paper and, for instance, right on this program and in the evening news and morning as well that Eddie Jones is arriving and rugby's back in, in vogue when it comes to discussion. And that's probably their first step. I mean, that's been the hardest, the hardest play for the game. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a wild ride. The day that it was announced, they said, hold on, folks, this is going to be a wild, wild ride. The behind the scenes, Eddie, is completely different to the one that you will hear and see over the course of the next five years. There'll be all sorts of outlandish statements. There'll be games being played. He'll manipulate as much as he can. He'll keep us laughing. He'll keep us interested. He'll have us scratching our heads. And then behind the scenes, they will be working as hard as they've ever worked. And that's nothing against Dave Rennie, but the game's about to change completely. It's positive at the moment, yeah, but results will determine everything. It was all going on at the Australian Open, not only that 4.08 a.m. finish this morning between Andy Murray and Thanasi Kokonakis and the fallout from that, but Novak Djokovic as well got into it. He uh, had a rowdy... Um, person in the crowd that he needed to get rid of, who was, in his in his sense, uh, just been on the cans, basically, just been on the drink too much and was interrupting him. Have a listen to Novak complaining about that. You know who it is. The guy's drunk out of his mind. From the first point, he's been provoking 
provoking. He's not here to watch tennis. He just wants he just wants to get in my head. So I'm asking you, what are you gonna do about it? You heard him at least ten times. I heard him fifty times. What are you gonna do about it? Get him out of the stadium. Right. Now whether you like him or not, gee smart Novak, isn't he? He's very, very smart. This guy's getting into my head. He's drunk as and he's not here to watch tennis. Now, tick, 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 tick on all those, and then he throws it straight back to the chair umpire. So I'm asking you, what are you going to do about it? Not what I can, can keep complaining about, but what are you going to do about it? And what, what option does the chair umpire have? Then he has to do something about it. Otherwise, Novak's just going to keep teeing off. And what happened was the members of the crowd who were causing that ruckus ended up getting the heave-ho. <clears throat> Day five continues or gets underway this morning, I should say. Round three continues as we go into the other half of the draw. Um, Krejcikova is going to be first up on Rod Laver Arena. Sitsipas, Stefano Sitsipas, the number three seed, will be the second match on RLA. He's got Dutch player Talon Griekspoor. Um, Coco Goff against Bernardo Pera. So they're the three day matches on Rod Laver Arena. And then tonight... Uh, Madison Keys against Victoria Azarenka. So that's the number 10 and number 24 seeds in the women. And then the second match will be Daniil Medvedev against Sebastian Korda. So if you put that into perspective about how late do you want to go and should we reschedule and should there only be one match at night? And this is taking nothing away from the performance and what they could put on and the audience that they could get. But if you only had the one match on RLA tonight, and it was Madison Keys against Victoria Azarenka. And the women's players campaigned very, very hard for this, and rightfully so. There's a chance that that would be over in an hour and a half. Possibly at the deepest, it would go a couple of hours. So that's from 7 till 9 p.m., call it. And then it's done and dusted. And then Medvedev and Korda will come out and take it deeper. So you've got to put this into the perspective of what you're paying for. And those that are paying the major money out of this, the biggest nest egg of the finances at the Australian Open is from the broadcasters. An hour and a half of prime time content is not enough. It's as simple as that. So if we went back to the old one match routine at night and forget about the second one, you're going to start getting big questions asked by those who are paying the money. Next time around, they won't want to pay as much money. So we've got to live with it. Maybe Medvedev and Korda go deep into the morning. We never know. We need to take a break back after this on SEN. Uh, Rob in Blacktown, Matty, I'd be worried if I was the NRL. Hamish answered all of your questions honestly and without any hesitation in any of the answers. Sounds like a great leader. We all know what Eddie is like and what he can do. The NRL board during this CBA have been very quiet and Clinton, the players, fumble and bumble around the questions and issues. That one from Rob. Um, look, Hamish, like I've said, is a very smart operator and, and cards on the table. He used to be my boss. I don't speak to him at all um, regularly, but I know what kind of operator he is. And I'm not surprised that they're in this situation, that they're prepared to take those big moves. And that the first point of order was let's get the finances in place. Let's get everything else in place. Let's get ourselves a home rugby world cup. Now let's get what they consider to be the best coach in the world and now 
Let's get the results. It is Friday morning. Welcome to our listeners joining us on 693 up in Brizzy, SEN and 1620 AM on the Gold Coast as well. And welcome back to our listeners on 1170 AM in Sydney. A very, very busy day. We've just had a chat with Hamish McLennan for our Queensland listeners just joining us. You can catch up on that on our podcast. But they are prepared to take the fight to the NRL. He's admitted that no players were spoken to around this decision of hiring Eddie Jones and removing Dave Rennie. And in fact, goes back to November 2021 when the discussions first started with Eddie Jones with a view to taking over after the Rugby World Cup. So we know that Dave Rennie's tenure uh, officially was going to be, well, it was going to expire at the end of the tw- uh, this year's World Cup. And they were already looking at Eddie from 2024 onwards And that obviously came off the back of the spring tour and the results that didn't go their way that would have led to Eddie Jones, uh, to Dave Rennie rather, continuing on as coach. It's, It's an amazing sliding doors moment. And as Hamish McLennan has said to me this morning, they fell off their chair when they saw that the English Rugby Football Union had removed Eddie from his post and they swooped pretty quickly. We're discussing that this morning and the impact that it's already having, but Eddie will be here within a week. Uh, Sunday week, in fact, and expect the noise to continue. Off the back of this morning's late finish or early finish, depending on which way you look at it, between Andy Murray and Thanasi Kokonakis, does the Australian Open scheduling need to change? Brett Phillips will join us as we hook into day five of action. Look, it's a debate that continues on. And if you go back to 2008 when uh, Leighton Hewitt and Marcus Bagdadis had that match that went to a quarter to five in the morning. Uh, I was there for that one, and I saw not only how it affected um, everybody. I mean, there was hardly anybody left in the stands, obviously. People have got to go to work the next day. However, the players that need to continue on in the tournament then have a quick turnaround time and an even later finish because media continues, drug testing continues, warm downs, everything starts to get in the way. I'm not sure of what the answer is to those that are saying that we need to look at the scheduling. Martina Navratilova has said we need to create better rules regarding the weather, light and wind. I don't know how we create better rules to um, change the weather or (laughs) have an effect on what the weather's doing. I mean, we've got roofs on stadiums. How much more can we do there? And starting times or cutoff times for matches. Now, that's where you start to think, okay, but these are anomalies. And you can't have it both ways here. You can't just say, let's have one match at seven o'clock and that's it. And let's not finish late. You you just can't do that. If you want to have the content that's going to provide the broadcasters with the reason to give you the most money, then unfortunately you're going to have to go deep sometimes with the way that it pans out. That's the scenario at the moment, but that's been one of the big talking points. You can have your say on that. 0457736. 736. Let's do an Australian Open update thanks to Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar landing soon. Brett Phillips is on the line. Have you got an answer, Brett, to how we try and stop matches going deep into the morning? Oh, look, it's the toughest sport, uh, Matt, because there's no definitive uh, end time. It's it's so unique in that aspect. You you just play until the match finishes. I mean, we don't get this... We don't get this all the time. Um, you know, I'm trying to go back and, and think uh, how many times we go to this sort of excess well into the early hours. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon uh, for the Australian Open, uh, New York with the US Open to be going to you know, probably 1am, 2am sometimes. 
So this is uh, just one of these circumstances. And, yeah, it's not ideal for everyone involved at the tournament, but it's sort of it's a unique part as well of, uh, of tennis is that <laughs> there's no clock. Uh, the clock is when the players decide to finish the match. And uh, it's, it, it is the way it is. So, you yeah. know, I, I think it, it's okay. It's it's not uh, it's not a disaster as far as I'm concerned. I'm with you, and I, and I view it too as you say when there's no clock. I mean, obviously the clock's ticking on the match time, and we see that. And obviously mm. for those sitting us at home, when we're like, oh, I got to go to bed, you know. But it's funny, isn't it? Because the arena that they're playing in is almost like a casino. You know, you know, casinos don't want you to know what time it is because they don't want you to know when you need to no. leave. And that's what it's like for these players. Yet. Andy Murray has been pretty forthright with what he said. Now, I don't know how much of that came out because he was so tired and he just wanted to get to bed and get over and done with, but I would have thought that his approach would have been a little bit more even-handed around the fact that this can happen and this is the unique part of what tennis is all about. Yet he's saying we're going to have to look at this, you know, you just can't have this scenario. I would have thought that that would be a different approach from Andy Murray. I don't know your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and obviously there's lots of factors here. I mean, the broadcasters pay big money and they want uh, certain slots. Uh, and obviously that fits around, you know, their own um, commitments. I mean, if you, started the, if you started the day session at 10, do you bring the night session forward to 6? That doesn't suit television. Mm. They were running news services at that time. And, you know, 7, 7.30 is prime time. And the match started... I think, what, about 10 o'clock uh, last night. So you're not going to can the match with a full stadium there uh, because there's the danger it might go to 4 a.m. That's the unknown. I mean, it could have been straight sets last night and we're out by midnight and no one's talking about it. So, you know, I, I think it's just one of those circumstances with uh, tennis, with um, even the French now have got, you know, night sessions. I mean, quite extraordinary. They start their night I think they start their night sessions in the first year at 9 p.m. I mean, that's not uncommon for... Europe, of course, uh, they just get going at nine o'clock, uh, heading out on the town, uh, Matt. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, it didn't suit Andy playing another massive long match, but I mean, what he pulled out last night was just, uh, just phenomenal. I couldn't quite go the whole journey. I thought, no, he's going to be done here, and to wake up and see that he won in five, I'm just still shaking my head to be honest. What does Thanasi Kokonakis take away from that? Well, I think he, t- he takes away from January that I know I can play, but he should have put him away last night, really. I mean, he just left the door open for Andy to bring all his experience and just you know stay engaged. Because he, he, he could see the other side was getting a little tight and then he was getting really frustrated because he had Murray right in the cusp of his hand there. So there's there's so many factors that are going to go into you know Kokonakis getting better. I'm listening to Darren Cale in commentary last night, and I'm thinking to myself, Matt, that'd be perfect because Fanasi has had his longtime coach Todd Langman. They're like brothers since he was seven, and it's that team around who, you know, I I, I think another voice like Darren would be superb, and he could see what was unfolding, and how he would have you know sat down and approached Fanasi and and work through the scenario at hand. And here is Darren sort of coaching players all around the world, which is fantastic. Um, but gee, we need him back here. He's the best coach um, going around, and he'd be mm. perfect for a guy like Kokonakis to get from 50 to 100 to 0 to 50. Uh, is he working as hard on everything? And I think another voice is probably needed in the camp, just to add to what they've got. 
Yeah, and the phone book too, hey? When you go to Darren Cahill's phone book, there's at the top of the list under AA, Andre Agassi with all that time. So you, you've got the, the tap-in of all of that knowledge and experience. You, you're spot on on that. So we've got two left, mate. We've got the demon who goes through against Manorino and the story of Alexi Popperin. You and I spoke about the danger man that is Taylor Fritz. Well, Alexi didn't read that script and he's uh, knocked him out of the tournament. What an effort, what a performance, and how about the emotion? It was uh, it was incredible. It was definitely the win of the day. We started our coverage at seven last night, so we got the uh, the last bit of it, and it was it was the best live sport that I, I think I've watched. Uh, the emotion and and the level that he he brought yesterday. And I remember having a chat to you yesterday about how he was, he was going to attack that game. You wanted him to take Fritz on, and boy, oh boy, he got to the net an incredible amount of times that I haven't seen the uh, sorry seen Alexi do. He's normally anchored more to that baseline. And look, it was power yesterday, but it was aggressive net play. He really, uh, he took the game on, took some risks and uh, and made, uh, you know, Taylor have to find a way past him. And he brought a great attitude. And this is what we've been crying out for, for Alexi. Because he, to me, appeared just a little laconic at times. As if, you know, the junior's uh, success is just going to transfer to the pros. And I can bring this big game, it's just going to work. Well, no. <laughs> you've got to bring more than that. And he rolled the sleeves up. And I think he walks away thinking, okay, now I know now I know what's required to beat these guys and I've got to maintain that level. So yeah, it was it was pretty emotional uh, watching that yesterday. So he's had he's had two four hour matches, hasn't he, BP? And and he's scheduled to take place in the doubles, which gets underway today. We've got thirteen Australians in action in the doubles. Mm. Do you think he'll continue to to juggle those? I haven't seen anything otherwise. No, no uh, word on a withdrawal. I mean, it's late in the day, so there's some time there that that could possibly change, depending how he wakes up today and recovery and everything else. Uh, you know, a lot of players uh, like to play a little bit of dubs during the Grand Slam, just keep themselves sharp, right, rather than just go out on the practice court. Obviously, it doesn't take as much out of you. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and find out mm. uh, later today whether um, he does uh, maybe give that the Kyber just to really focus on what... You know, the, the side of the draw he's in. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's so many seeds that have knocked out. I mean, he's a chance to maybe be a Grand Slam semi-finalist. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, the way that it's all falling up, uh, falling uh, on that side of the draw. You're right. So day five gets underway. Round three, uh, I ran through the session, the day session on Rod Laver Arena. And then tonight, so we've got Madison Keys and Victoria Azarenka uh, first up. And then Medvedev against Sebastian Corda. Plus, uh, later on this afternoon, or probably early this afternoon, Stefano Tsitsipas back in action. Yeah, it's a good day, isn't it? Um you know, Sitsi Pass should win comfortably, I think, against Griegspoor on uh, centre court. Uh, and then Coco Goff will play on Rod Laver and Igish Fiontek, the world number one, almost at the same time over on Margaret Court Arena. So we think both of those on paper should get through pretty comfortably. And this is the quarterfinal or fourth round that, you know, we certainly uh, certainly wanted. And we appear to be on track for that. I mean, her catch Shapovalov tonight is, uh, is a great battle. Two guys that want to go a little bit further. Francis TFO. Yeah, but Medvedev quarter, now that's a huge match. I mean, Seb quarter showed against Djokovic in Adelaide that he can play against these guys. So it'd be a massive breakthrough if he could uh, take that skill. So yeah, there's mouthwatering matches uh, everywhere. Even Rybakina and Collins, that'll be a great battle on uh, Kia Arena uh, for the right to play um, Igish Fiontek uh, going forward. Has Danielle checked the rule book again? Because she, <laughs> she thought the match was over in the tie break the other day, didn't she? 
There's always a lot going on. Her, her matches are emotional. Uh, there's a little bit of drama. There's uh, chats with the chair umpires. There's a lot going on. And then she yeah. sort of, once she gets out of that zone, it's a, just a different uh, person. But uh, she's got a, a, a white light fever. All those days of college with the rah-rah, she's carried into the pros. But uh, she's, a, she's a good watch as well. Good stuff, mate. Enjoy today. Thank you. Cheers. Brett Phillips there with our Australian Open update. Thanks to Kia, a pinnacle of engineering. The Kia EV6 GT is the most powerful Kia ever crafted. So 13 Aussies out there today um, spread around the place because they're all doubles matches and round one continuing. We're down to two in the singles and both on the men's side, Alex Dimonor and Alexi Popperin. So we'll have Max Purcell and Jordan Thompson in action, Luke Saville and Alex Bolt. Um, Alexi is scheduled to pair up with Mark Polmans, Alexander Vukic and John Millman. Uh, Matty Ebden will be playing. Astra Sharma and Jamie Fawless, Ellen Perez and Storm Sanders also featuring uh, separately, by the way, in the doubles round one today. 0457 736 736. Now, let me find some of your texts here about the scheduling. Matt on the text line says, how many times has Murray played that late? maybe once or twice in a 20-year career. I don't see his gripe. Many of us in other jobs have had to do all-nighters to get a job done. Leave the tennis scheduling as is. Uh, Yeah, it it was interesting, his comments. And like I said at the very top of the show, and I'll play those comments again for you, but like I said at the top of the show, I don't think it's a whinge as much. He is trying to do what Andy Murray does, is put it into the perspective of, everybody that's involved from fans to um, players and as you'll hear to ball kids as well. Uh, it's a hard one to say like other jobs. Um, Matt, I hear where you're coming from, but there ain't no other job that compares to trying to compete in a, in a grand slam tournament. It's just very, very different full stop. So it, it's very unique. As Brett just said, it's, it's unique to this sport. It doesn't happen all the time. But here's what Andy Murray said after going the distance five-plus hours, finishing at close to 10 past four this morning. Yeah, I mean, look, it's obviously amazing to win to win the match, but I also I want to go to bed now. I'm like, you know, it's great, you know, great, but I want, I want to sleep. Does tennis need to change this business of playing at three, four in the morning? Yeah, because it doesn't... I don't know who it's beneficial for. It's like... A match like that, yeah, we come here after the match and that's what the discussion is. And rather than it being like epic Murray-Kokonakis match, it's like, you know, it ends in a bit of a, you know, bit of a farce. And no, amazingly, people stayed until the end. And I, I really appreciate people doing that and creating an atmosphere for us at the end. I really appreciate that. And some people obviously need to work the following day and everything. But, like, if my child was a ball kid, you know, for a tournament and... <laughs> they're coming home at five in the morning as a parent I'm snapping at that like it's not it's not beneficial for them it's not beneficial for the umpires the officials I don't think it's amazing for the fans it's not good for the players so yeah we talk about it all the time it's been spoken about for years but when you start the night matches late and have conditions like that these things are going to happen okay here's my take on that take the ball kids out of it Right, because uh, you know he's trying to throw it all out there to to cover everybody involved. Like I said, but take the ball kids out of it. I, I guarantee you they'll be sleepy today, but it is still holidays, and the ball kids will certainly have relished every single minute of being out there 
on that court watching Andy Murray and Thanasi Kokonakis. They will, in future years, talk about how extraordinary that was and, yeah, how late it was. But tell you, it's not an issue, really. It's, it's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is to go back to what he said first up. He wants to go to bed. It's very, very simple when you put it into the players' terms. A 10-past-four finish, they don't really know what time it is out there in the middle of it all. He's not watching the clock. He's watching the scoreboard. But a 10-past-four finish hurts his chances further down the track in terms of the, the next turnaround. Now, it'd be easy to say, hey, mate, finish it off in three sets and you're done. <laughs> but it doesn't play out like that. So there's a lot at play here. On the text line, Danny from Botany says, simple solution, Matt. Start the men's matches at 7 p.m. no later. That'll fix it. Ladies can start later if it suits. Absolutely ridiculous. Danny, that's an easy solution, but it won't fix it. And it's not a simple solution. Because many years ago, the women's side of tennis made a very solid case to make sure that they would be able to have the same rights as starting on a late-night match as the men and that they've got just as much say. And they said, well, why should it be us that sits around? What used to happen is this, Danny. They used to roll out one key match a night starting at 7 o'clock, and you heard the reasons why. 6 o'clock is when the news is on. The networks here pay a lot of money, and they want it off the back of their news services. So that's part A. Part B is what they would do is put a feature match on centre court for the men, now, that'll go three hours, call it. So that takes you from 7 till 10 o'clock. Then they used to either put a doubles match on, which would peter out for the night, or they started putting the women's matches on there, and the women said, well, why should we constantly play so much later? Why should we be the ones that always start so much later? And what happens if this match goes four hours, five hours, and we're starting at 10 past one in the morning? So that's why it's got to the stage where it flips and it flops. Sometimes they start with the women's match. Sometimes they finish with a women's match. That's how it's going, been going for years and years and years, and that's what it needs to do. So your simple solution sounds okay on paper. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Matty says, Anthony, I'll challenge you on that. Imagine how many viewers would have tuned in to Kokonakis and Murray if it was on at a decent time. They should start an hour earlier at six with the least popular match up of the two evening games. Unfortunately, I have a job and couldn't stay up until 4.30. Yeah, and a lot of people are exactly the same. I didn't stay up either, mate. And as you heard, Brett Phillips says, the Brisbane Eel says, so even BP couldn't stay awake. Case closed. But they're not going to start an hour earlier with a lesser match as you say they're just not going to do it this is big money this is prime time and this is what they pay for yes i keep going back to the broadcasters you know why because they're putting the money in the pockets and they have the biggest say over scheduling so scheduling comes down to broadcasters and players that's how it works (laughs) that's how it simply works so there's no way in the world you're going to pay all that money in prime time and say just i'll put a Put a nufty match on, if you want to call it that, and then we'll get to something decent. It's just not going to work. They just have to live with the fact that some matches are going to go five hours and some of those are going to start later than you'd like to them uh, than you'd like them to start. It's, it's just simple bottom line. And let's not forget, this only happened once. You know, the last time that we went this deep was 2008. That's now 15 years ago. So it doesn't happen every single night. 
and then you watch it'll happen tonight. <laughs> Back after this. Yeah, let's get to those text messages now. Martin says, I stayed up far too late watching the tennis last night. I do think the finishing time was farcical and it really is time to correct it. I was tired. I was on the couch. I can't imagine how the players, fans, ball kids and umpire feel today. Cricket has stumps. Maybe tennis needs a cutoff time. It really suits no one. Yeah. I mean, a cutoff time is okay, but then you've got to make it up the next day. And then that'll push everything further back as well. So I I just don't know how you operate on that one. Somebody else on the text line here has um, said something around, and I'll, I'll find it eventually, but around the start time. And that's a good question too. So why start at 11 o'clock? Why could we not start earlier? Well, you could start earlier, and I, I don't know the answer to this, so f- freestyle with me here. You could start the day earlier. Say we started at 10 a.m. Melbourne time or 9 a.m. Melbourne time. But you know what? They're still going to start the night matches at 7 p.m. because of the prime time factor. So you could start earlier and you could catch up along the way. But no matter what time you get the day scheduling done, you're still going to roll into the start of the men's or, and women's uh, key matches from 7 o'clock because of the prime time factor. So that's where, you know, that, that's where the balance doesn't play out. You can play catch up. But really, you're still going to have the same problem at the back end of the day. Are we trying to? Are we getting there? Do you reckon, Mark? Do, are we trying to work our way through? You don't care. Andy Murray won. You're a happy Scott this morning. Here's the news. Thank you, Mark. The one and only Mark Braybrook with our news updates this morning. We got news royalty in in the SEN house this morning. Can't you have a 12 a.m. cutoff time, then come back at 9 a.m. the next morning to finish, rather than wait until 11 a.m. Uh-huh. See what we do on this program. So we we, we try <laughs> we spend three hours together trying to fix problems, and I reckon sometimes we create more. Uh, you could. You absolutely could. So let's say you have a 12 a.m. cutoff. I don't know how you stop a match mid-match, um, aside from the fact that there's rain delays, et cetera. So 12 a.m. cutoff, um, they would get out, they would warm down. Um, so work with me on this one. I'm not trying to poo-poo it. I'm just trying to run you through the possibilities. 12 a.m., so let's call it midnight. They go, look, it's too late. Everyone go home. Andy and Thanasi go, okay, um, I just can't stop cold and go back to the hotel room and order some room service. So I'll go back. They wouldn't have to do drug testing because the match isn't over, but they'd go back. They would warm down, probably give that an hour by the time they do everything to get out. So there's one o'clock that they're out of there. Then back to the hotel or wherever they're staying uh, in Melbourne. So call that, I mean, it's nice, easy turnaround, but call that half an hour. You can jump in one of the cars and you're back. So let's say you're back now at half past one. You've just played, call it two hours of a match. So you're buzzing. Half past one, you're probably not getting to sleep until three, Maybe. Unless you want to put some late night telly on, you're probably straight to sleep. Okay, so let's call it at at best. If you finish at midnight, at best you're going to sleep by sort of 2 a.m. in the morning. Then you've got a 9 a.m. start. So you'd have to get straight up again off the back of zero sleep and back out to it for warm up after you've warmed down the night before or the morning before and you see the flow on effect. I, believe me, it's a scheduler's nightmare. And the players wouldn't wear that either. 
they just say, no, we're not doing it. And they've got the say down there. They've got the massive say. So um, in terms of us, um, that texter, thank you for that one. Rather than wait until 11 a.m., yep. But they'd say, no, we're not getting turnaround time. We don't have enough time to get ourselves back in action. Um, some would be different. Some would definitely be different. All righty, Tommy is in the house this morning with some coins on the table. We still haven't fixed up the digital transaction when it comes to coins this this season, but we'll just buy into it again uh, the way that we're going to per season. I'm going to plug in your microphone. There you go. Am I on? You're on now. I'm on. We are live. Um, I thought we were just going to keep the coins. I like the coins. Okay. Yeah, because Mark tried to do the little beat the other day that and it sounded like I was in a hospital. That didn't work. No one wants that. That didn't work. PJ says, why not start every day at 8 a.m., 8 o'clock, an extra three hours every day? I, I need to ask the question why we start at 11 o'clock. Uh, I don't know why we start at 11 a.m. Um, so the Today Show finishes at 9 and you want a two-hour pre-show. Right well, now. when we were doing it at 7, Sunrise finished at 9 and then we would start at 11 o'clock. Um, and he, here's the other thing, Tommy. Is it right? for advertising? Well, that, that's the first thing I go to. Morning, morning programming. I mean, he, here's the other thing. There were, there were times when we were doing it. So I talk about advertisers. What, what they do is they sell. <laughs> this is the punishing part. They, mm-hmm. they sell the advertising to the space of the slot that they've got, right? Yep. So when we were doing it at 7, we would sell the advertising for, say, from 7 p.m. until midnight, mm-hmm. call it. And then some of the matches go a lot faster or a lot longer because you don't know where your ad breaks are going to come. You have to wait for them to fall into the slot of what's happening with the match. You quite often get left with a bank of, of advertising that you need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So we would finish the night. This happened quite often. We would finish the night's coverage at say 11 o'clock or 11.30 p.m. But we haven't got through all of the ads that are scheduled mm-hmm. for that time period. So we would then replay matches from earlier in the night. To get rid of the ads. Just to get rid of the ads. Yes. And then we would sit there until those ads were done and dusted watching a match that was replayed. I remember I, I remember being like a teenager watching the Australian Open and you'd be watching it late at night and they would also have, they would be replaying matches. Now I've got another question. Because Channel Nine now have Stan, they now have Go. Yep. They have Gem as well, so they always they have these conciliary channels. Can they just push it off to that? Push those ads onto onto those channels? Or you can't they... push the ads. You no. won't you won't push the ads onto them. You can mm-hmm. push matches onto them, but you won't push the ads onto them. Yeah. So you're locked in in the schedule, and that's you know, put six o'clock as the marker of your day as to where everything needs to go because six o'clock for Australian TV has traditionally and is traditionally the thing, Yeah. right? So that's what everything it's never gonna be moved. is garnered for. So you want your six o'clock, you want effectively the perfect world for the broadcasters is to have everything in the day session go right up to 5.59, mm-hmm. bang, there's your winning match point. Alexi Popram wins. 5.59, bang, you're into your news, you take your audience, you come out of your news, you go into your current affairs show or whatever it is, depending on what you've got at the time, and then off you go. Do you remember Home and Away used to take the slot? They, they didn't move Home and Away on seven in favour of the Australian Open. In its heyday. In its heyday. They did not move it, right? So we're blessed now that we've got all of these options to be able to go to, but you can't determine how long a match is going to go. And that's the problem with 
that these TV networks face when you're dealing with a sport like tennis and also like cricket when it's not restrained by time. Now, cricket is, it starts and finishes, but it's not like NRL or AFL where you've got 80 minutes on the clock so you know exactly when it's going to finish. Maybe NRL, 10 minutes, extra time, blah, blah, blah. But Channel 7, remember the first test against South Africa? Yeah. You had five days of scheduling, five days worth of ads, <laughs> finishes within two days. Yeah. What do we do now? What do we tell our advertisers where we, they spend all this money on trying to get on Channel 7? So that's a key problem that you got to face. Yeah. Um, and we deal it. We deal with it as well on, on radio. We schedule two. We schedule for five days and two days, and then we got to get all yeah. the producers and hosts back in to, to do the shows. So. And, and the fans, you know, the fans quite rightly go, well, I don't care. Exactly. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's your problem. It's not my problem. And and I totally but we agree did, with Whether that. you like it or loathe it, the broadcast money is one of the biggest things that's that the these key, organisers that's the look component. at. And that's why I think Andy Murray was trying to be a voice of reason early this morning. But the reality of all of what they're saying is – Yes, it's it's fans, it's all that kind of stuff. The reality is he doesn't want to finish at 4 o'clock in the morning because no, it cuts fair. down the recovery that. time the next day. It's yeah. just as simple as that. But they know that going in. Uh, Bill says, Matty, pay me a couple of hundred grand. I'll play till 6 a.m. <laughs> Maybe a solution is to have a rest day after the first week to catch up and or give all players a rest. Did they not have a rest day? Was there some kind of rest day? I, I might be right off here, but I had the feeling that way, way, way back, probably before they got to Melbourne Park, that there might have been a rest day in the middle of all that. I might be completely wrong there, but the answer to that is no. It's so, not going to yeah. happen. You're not going to stop the momentum, especially now, and this is business, mm. but especially now is you want to leave the door open for somebody else to come in and take your market space? Not going to happen. Yeah, you can't, especially in a, a tournament, has to go bang, bang. It has to have that fluidity. It has to have that momentum. Momentum. And if you kill it with a rest day, I think the players would be for it. The players would absolutely love it. But no, tournament, I think Craig Tiley would say, no, thank you. Has there been any movement in rugby league circles, Tommy? While we've been uh, chatting to Hamish McLennan and they're going to take the gloves off in the fight from rugby union, has there been anything further aside from a, a wash of social media last night mm-hmm. from from some of the leading players? No, so yeah, a lot of the players, a lot of some, not not all leading players, but a lot of players from all 17 clubs um, posted various different um, – they posted a photo with the Rugby League Players Association colour background, and they said, to just of it, United, we stand. This is not about the pay. This is about rights. NRL, um, you have to listen to us, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of been it, really. I just want to bring up one point, and some of our listeners have brought up Peter Valandis, and a lot of people have brought up – you played re- audio about Ricky Stewart yesterday talking about it. He did wonders for the game. Uh, how much longer do we hold that to him? Uh, yes, he did wonders for the game, but back in 2020, the AFL started two weeks after us. You know, all, all these major competitions got back up and running, and they're all back up and running to a professional. But so, yes, Peter Landis is a great job, but do we owe him for that for life? I mean, oh, not for life. No, no, no but, I don't but, think anyone's but, saying that. No, but it just keep, keeps being brought up by people who are in support of the NRL and the administration. And just Mate, like, it's e- a, every sport's back up. It's a fair old thing to have in your CV. I, not that I, he needs one. I agree. I agree. And it, it's a lot of credit. But to say to, to use that as a little um, rebuttal to the players saying, well, look what he did back in 2020. You should be thankful. Yes, we are thankful. The players are thankful. They're back pay, being paid. They're back playing. That doesn't mean that you can't. Um, disagree on everything. Mm. That's the thing where I just get a little bit frustrated. Um, so, no, there's no forward movement into what's this happening. Off the field, it's reported that Stephen Crichton signed oh, a four-year deal with the Bulldogs. It's been reported, nothing official from the Bulldogs. 
I did on Wednesday. I said the five clubs who should chase, who should target Stephen Crichton, and the Bulldogs was number one. Now, reported upwards of 800 plus 800,000. That's a big ask, and that's a big payday for someone who hasn't played a lot of fullback at NRL level. He's filled in a couple of times when Dylan Edwards has been um, injured or he's missed some games, but he's never played back-to-back games as a fullback. So he's untested there. So it's a big move by the Bulldogs. If I was the Bulldogs, I would have I would have tried to chase Mitchell Moses before trying to chase Stephen Crichton. I think he would be a really good halfback to pair with Matty Burden. But um, they're building a very um, competitive list at Canterbury, led by Phil Gould. Isn't it amazing how – it only seems like yesterday that we oh. were sitting here talking about the dramas at the Bulldogs Trent and we were Barrett. speaking to the Laundie family about yes. where it's all at and Matt Burton's situation and all that kind of stuff. It only feels like yesterday. It's amazing how quickly things can change, things can change especially perception and feel around a club because if there's <laughs> – what is it? If there's bad juju around a club, you're not even going to entertain the thought. If there's a good feel or the good vibe around a club, then you start to go, okay, something's happening there. Mm-hmm. Something's, go- something's going on at the doggies. They've got Cameron Serrato, Phil Gould's there. They're starting to get the players. Things are starting to change around. And that just seems like yesterday that none of that was there. Shows you how quickly things turn around. 0457 736 736. George says, Maddie, they used to have the first Sunday off, I remember correctly, if they didn't lose any days to weather. Thank you, George. I knew that there was somewhere back in the day that they had some sort of break. Wouldn't happen these days. We've been speaking today around Rugby Union, of course, and Eddie Jones's uh, pending arrival in Australia. And by the fact that um, the moment that the English Rugby Football Union let him go, the Rugby Australia bosses pounced. In fact, Hamish McLennan, the chair of Rugby Australia, said to me they fell off their chair when they saw the news of Eddie Jones. Well, more news has come out of the Rugby Football Union over there as of uh, just a, a few minutes ago. It's been confirmed that in England next season, across England from next season onwards, the tackle height in rugby will be lowered to the waist and below. So they've confirmed that they will lower tackle height to the waist in amateur rugby across England from next season. So from July 2023, this will come into place at both age grade and adult levels. Tackles must be made at the line of the waist and below with an aim to put players' heads in the safest possible place by defining a law where the line of the tackle may start. Okay, so that's where it has to start, around the waist. Obviously, you can end up going up and you can end up sliding down, but that's where it has to start. It's all about player safety informed by data reduces to uh, the aim is to reduce head impact exposure and concussion risk, which is a fairly obvious outcome that they're looking for. Uh, It's a unanimous vote. It will change the law from the season that's upcoming and it will be waist height or below. According to the RFU in France, where this was similarly introduced in its domestic game in 2019, there was a 63% reduction in head on head contacts leading to a more fluid game, they say, with reduced levels of kicking, increased passing, offloads and line breaks. The union says that a match official will be encouraged to focus on the actions of the ball carrier as well as the tackler when head contact occurs. So they've been pretty bullish about this over there and now they're going at the amateur level to say you have to start at the waist and no higher. 
Um, it's pretty obvious where they're heading towards this and, and staying away from anything that has the potential to have a concussion or a head injury. I guess the question is, what happens when those players that come through this system and start only tackling from the waist down get into professional rugby? What happens at the next step? Unless they're going to change the laws above them, is this the first step towards that? It's it's come out from the RFU. It's obviously in France, which I was unaware of, but it's been in that domestic game uh, since 2019. So they're going to lower the height of the tackle, encourage the tackler to bend more at the waist, will minimise the risk of this occurring while maintaining the tackle as an integral part of the game. So the tackler has to bend more at the waist. So there's head impact on a couple of occasions, isn't there? There's the head impact of, say, the tackler coming in, making contact with the um, player's head as he's trying to enforce the tackle. Then there's the head impact of the tackler running into the opposition player who's charging at him or her. And if you're bending more at the waist to try and get down low, I guess maybe that increases. But the data's there. The numbers have done it and the studies that they've done have provided them with the evidence to take this radical change, which it is. Is this the first of a longer play that we may see to just reduce tackle heights all round? And when you get to that next level, do you get retrained? Is that where it starts again? I mean, you've got the basics around tackling uh, around the waist. The off-ball, the off-loads, uh, therefore going to be opened up more and more. It's an interesting play. Back after this break, 0457 736 736. What do you think about that? Uh, coming up in the next hour of the program, Sydney FC captain Alex Wilkinson will join me. They are heading off to Tasmania later on this afternoon for the A-League's first ever match at North Hobart Oval. So uh, a lot at play at this one. Sydney FC are not where they want to be. They've got Western United. It's a 5pm start in Tassie and Alex hasn't played since game one of the season. He's been out with a pretty severe injury. So we'll have a good chat to him and see where he's at in terms of uh, coming back on. But Good to see him back. And also our top tips with Chris Nelson racing at the sunny coast tonight. Um, Doombin and Randwick tomorrow. Margaret on the text line says, read the tennis. I think if a game can't start by a certain time, so a match can't start by a certain time, say 9 p.m., it doesn't start. Be an easy solution. <laughs> They'd run into scheduling problems at the back end. It's just one of those ones. You you know, you, you're pinning the tail on the donkey and – you might sort of solve one issue over here, but it creates another one over there. Welcome back. Our third and final hour of the program. Thanks for your company this morning as we get to the back end of the first week back for me uh, this year in 2023 and talk about walking into the firestorm. <laughs> I mean, it was happening left, right and centre. For a moment there, we thought Eddie Jones was going to be the biggest uh, talking point, was going to be the biggest news. And then I think it was that night that Nick Kyrgios pulled out then we have the rugby league players going to war with head office. Um, they're adamant that it's not a pay war. It's around everything else. We have had stuff coming at us left, right and centre um, so far this week. And I reckon it's going to set the tone for the rest of the year. So make sure you stay with us. And I really do appreciate the fact that you've all come on back and stay tuned to SEN right around the Nation, I'm going to catch up with Alex Wilkinson very soon. We'll get to that in just a sec. And also Chris Nelson with his uh, top tips for some racing. So uh, I'm going to make it clear to Chrissy. 
We just need to we need to get back on the winners list. That's a simple goal. Just like Eddie Jones has said, my simple goal is 2023 Rugby World Cup. That's what we have to win. Our simple goal with our top tips is just get on the winners list. I mean, it's how hard is it? And we've got Tommy's Tribune today. So the first official outing of Tommy's Tribune for 2023 is ready to rumble today. You can win a Signa Boost Power Bank, uh, which is currently working a treat at my my place. I had to wait until the start of the new year before I got one, but I've got one. Uh, okay, so Tommy's looking for headlines around those issues. Eddie Jones, and now it's on. Gloves are off, folks, between Rugby Union and NRL. The player boycott from the NRL. Can you put that into a headline and perhaps where it's going to end? Around Eddie, maybe a headline around what impact he's going to have. What what will Eddie do? And also the late finish at the Australian Open. Ten past four this morning, they finally wrapped it up. They went deep. Vanasi Kokonakis could not get uh, over the top of the incredible Andy Murray in a match for the ages. Now, if you're just joining us, um, you're at the back end of a long conversation that we've been having this morning trying to work out what's the best way to come up with uh, a solution to not having everybody sit around at four o'clock in the morning. And I just can't see one. I literally cannot see one. Martina Navratilova's jumped in and said, this is not, this is crazy. Only sport that does it. Jamie Murray, brother of Andy, has also dived in and backed up what his brother said about, you know, this is just stupidity going so late in the morning. It is what it is. Um, but gee, you've got plenty of thoughts around how we could solve it. <laughs> and it, and we're trying to solve it. This is the cool part. We're trying to solve it from our perspective, which is how on earth do we sit up that late and try and watch a match that we want to watch that we don't want to sit around till 4 a.m. in the morning? No way in the world. You've got to go to work. You've got to go to school. You've got to, got to do all that kind of stuff. The players think about it from their perspective, which is how on earth do I get back and recover in time to take on my next third round match, which might go, might go another four hours? Alexi Popperin's played two four-hour matches in a row. After a while, that emotional buzz might start to wear down. So there's their perspective. The broadcasters have a completely different perspective. They need as much primetime content as they can. And then there's the balance between men's and women's matches. Men's go five sets, women's go three sets. That's the way it is. Men's will go longer, women's don't go as long. But they're on a equal level here. They're on the same pay level for a start and they should get same billing when it comes to coverage along the course of the two weeks. So you see the different ways that this has all got to try and play out and there's much, much, much more at play behind the scenes in terms of scheduling as well. So it's almost like every answer we come up with has an antidote to it. Uh, Matt says, what about having the three big roofed show courts? Uh, Channel 9 have 9, Go and Gem. We then pick the one that we want to watch, maybe an option. Again, that's the fans' perspective. So that works for you, and we get to pick. And at the moment, you can pick and choose. But does it work for the scheduling? Not. Matty, very simple solution. This one from Rod in Avalon. All men's night matches must start at 7 p.m., and you have no second matches to follow them, same as Roland Garros does in Paris. 
Starting matches at 9am doesn't work because players have to get to the gym, fuel with food and water, warm up, etc. So they'd be doing that at 5am. But let me go back to what you just said. All men's night matches must start at 7pm and have no second matches. The problem there, Rod, you're ruling women's matches out from a 7pm start. And therefore you're ruling women's matches on centre court at the start of prime time. And they just won't cop that. The, the, the game will not cop that because they deserve to have equal footing. So, oh dear. Everready, says one of our texters, Everready Batteries would be a good sponsor for the AO and the players. <laughs> That's not a bad shout at all. Uh, you've got you've to be prepared to go deep. It's as simple as that. Folks, when the Australian Open rolls into town, you've got to be prepared for a couple of things. Players that you've never seen or heard of that you're going to have to wrap your head around. Players whinging and complaining about all sorts of things from the fluffiness of the tennis balls to the bounce in the court to how hot it is to how much it rains to who's wearing a Where's Wally outfit in the stands. You've got to be prepared for absolutely everything, including the occasional 4am finish. It goes for everybody. Players, fans, broadcasters alike. All righty, let's talk football now. Uh, As we know, Alex Wilkinson is about to return for Sydney FC this weekend. Tomorrow, they've got Western United down there in Tassie at North Hobart Oval. It'll be his first match back after an injury in the first game of the season, a pelvic injury, a really nasty one. But I'm pleased to say that Alex Wilkinson joins us right here on the morning program. Good morning, Alex. Morning. How are you going? Good, thanks. How are you going? Welcome back. Welcome back to the fray for the first time in three months. So where are you at? Obviously ready to rumble. Yeah, look, it's obviously nice to be to be back involved in the squad and, and with the team. Um, you know, I'm not too sure yet, um, you know, as to what capacity I'm going to play yet in the game or if I'm going to start or if I'll come off the bench or if I'll just be in the squad. We'll sort of work that out in today and tomorrow. But it's just nice to be back involved after obviously being on the sidelines for, for up to th- for, for close to three months now. And, you know, I've been rehabbing um, ever since my operation for a while now and been back uh, training with the group for, for a couple of weeks. So it's just... Nice to be back involved and um, hopefully being able to contribute to us um, having some good results coming up. It's a long time, isn't it? Three months on the sidelines to go through that recovery and rehab and the surgery as well. So have you had that kind of injury before? And can you take us through what that injury means, the pelvic injury? It happened in game one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I've been pretty lucky actually. I haven't had too many injuries in my career, so this is sort of the first time I've been laid out for for a long period. And um, look, it's, it's not too much fun, obviously. Um, yeah, I had to I had to get an operation to sort of a mesh over my pelvis to sort of hold my hold my pelvis together a little bit better and to keep it stable. And um, you know, the first sort of four month, four weeks to a month after the the operation, I couldn't do too much. But then after that, it was just sort of about getting moving again and, and rebuilding all the strength and, and stuff in the gym. And then once you tick that off, you can sort of start trying to run again. And, and uh, then you progress to obviously getting involved with the team, with the passing the ball and all the football-related stuff. So it's obviously taken a little bit of time and not too much fun rehabbing, I guess. You're, you're sort of on your own a lot and not involved in the in the group, so it's uh, it's really great to be back and um, looking forward to, to getting back out on the pitch. And I guess there's two sides to that, and I wanted to ask you about this because there's the, the side of you wanting to be the player to go back out there and get back out on the pitch, but there's also the side of you being the leader of the club as well. So how did you 
How did you balance those two being on the sidelines as a player who wants to get out there and as the captain of, of the team that wants to lead? Yeah, look, I mean, as a player, obviously, it's it's frustrating. You know, you, you just want to be playing week in, week out and keep your body healthy and, and stay injury-free and, you know, not have to worry about that side of the game. But um, I guess as well as as being the captain, you can still sort of contribute. I mean, you obviously can't do it on the on the pitch, but uh, in game time, but still throughout the week, you can still talk to the players and, uh, you know, give you little bits of advice here and there when it's needed. And, you know, it's just, it's just on game day that you're obviously not out there. But, you know, like I said before, it's, uh, you know, the longest injury I've ever had and it sort of makes you realise how much you actually do miss playing when you sort of lay it out for such a long period of time. So it'll be nice to be, uh, to be back involved. So you had a hit out against the academy. What last Friday was it? How how did you get through that post that match? And how much how much work did you actually do? Yeah, pretty much just played just short of a full match last week against um, just an internal game, which was good. So that was the first sort of hit out I'd had. Um, so it was nice to sort of get back into a match situation and and get some fitness under my belt and pulled up really well from that. So that was sort of um, the box we had to tick to make sure I could could get back involved in the A-League squad and um, we came through that well and, and had a, a good week of training this week as well and got through that no problem. So we took all the boxes needed to, to get back involved and um, hopefully I can get onto the pitch uh, tomorrow down in Hobart. Oh, mate, so it's so good to hear that you're in a, a good spot and ready to go again. It's a crucial time, isn't it? So Sydney FC, eighth on the ladder. Has the focus been on shoring up defence going into this one and, and the rest of the season? Um, yeah, there, there definitely has been focus on that, but it's not sort of the only thing we're we're looking at. I think, um, look, we we've we've just been a little bit too inconsistent. I think to start the season, we've we've had games where we've we've played really well and performed really well, and then we've had others where we've you know not reached that level. And uh, you know that's been that's been the issue. You can you you know case in point is the last last week's game against Perth, where first half we played really really well and could have. You know, went into the sheds two nil up, but could have been easily three or four. And then the second half, we came out and was played a played a completely different game, and ended up letting them back into the game and and uh, getting a two two draw. So you know, if we can just uh, be a little bit more consistent in our performances, and and when we are performing well, sort of try to make that last a little bit longer than a half, or you know, get get close to that full game playing well, then. Um, you know that's going to help us sort of to shoot up the ladder and start getting get some better results. It's not the first time that Sydney FC have featured at North Hobart Oval. You go back to 2014. There was a friendly match there against Melbourne Victory, but this is the first for an A League match. So in terms of what this means for the game, you know expansion, etc., and in terms of what you're expecting from the fans down there, um, can you put that into perspective? And how much talk has there been around your club about how big and important this is for the game itself? Yeah, the game itself is obviously you know hugely important. Like we just touched on before, the position we're in at the moment is you know not what we're used to here at Sydney FC and not um, really acceptable to be honest. So we you know every game is important at the moment for us to start getting results and, and putting together some sort of run. I mean that the table's so close that it only takes a couple of wins in a row and your position completely changes. So you know that's what we're trying to put together at the moment. And in, in regards to playing in, down in Tassie, it's um, yeah it's exciting. You know I, I, I played down there with. I think about 10 years ago in Launceston, but ever since then I haven't managed to get back there to play any football. And I know they love their football down there and there's talk um, that, that eventually they'll, they'll get an A-League team and when the league expands. So it'd be great to see uh, lots of fans come out and, and support the match and just support the A-League in general. 
Enjoy the trip. Welcome back to the team, mate, and best of luck across the weekend. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me. Alex Wilkinson there, uh, Sydney FC captain. So tomorrow, 5 o'clock at North Hobart Oval in Tassie. It's Sydney FC versus Western United. Uh, play getting underway around the courts of Melbourne Park. So we'll bring you score updates courtesy of Bing Lee as we start to get them in. No real scores on the table at the moment. Uh, the first match on centre court is Barbora Krechikova against Annalena Kalanina. Um, no score in that. Well, there is a score, but none on the uh, game's schedule as we speak. Kalanina leading the first set on serve 40-15 at the moment. Um, Yannick Sin is in action too over there on Margaret Court Arena against Martin Fusovic. Um, so that's the number 15th seed. Uh, a lot of doubles action is coming our way today featuring a lot of Australians, 13 Australians in action. And Stefano Tsitsipas will be the key, I think, of day t- uh, day five out there on centre court. So he'll be second up on centre court with tonight's matches, um, Keys and Azarenka in the women's to start and then quarter, Seb quarter against Daniil Medvedev. So the updates there, courtesy of Bing Lee. Let's go straight to the open line. Greg from San Susie's on the line. Good morning, Greg. Morning, Matty. Um, good, to hear, good to hear that Wilco's back. Yes, yeah, that was great. And it was good to um, good to have a good chat to him too to find out about the injury and also about what you do. I mean, it's got to be hard, mate, hasn't it? Like I said to him, there's two parts to that. One, you just want to get back on and play because that's in, that's that's in your nature. The other one is you're the leader there as well and you spend all that time out. Three months is, is a heck of a long time. But anyway, we'll see how that plays out. Did you want to have a say about... Uh, the news out of England that they're going to lower the tackle to the waist in amateur rugby union. Yeah, it's um, the the good good gentlemen at the uh, at the rugby football union must be rubbing their hands with glee because, as far as I can see, all this is going to lead to is more work closer to the breakdown. It's not going to speed things up as that might have happened in, in France. It's, all that's going to uh, drive is a lot more uh, close-quarter action from the base of rucks and malls. If you cannot get anywhere near a guy's waist to tackle because of their low body height, people are just going to be poking their nose through the, uh, the advantage sign time and time and time again. I can just see a lot more close-quarter action happening in rugby union in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm, yeah, interesting. And like you say, what they've found or what they're saying they have found in France is that there's um, reduced levels of kicking, increased passing offloads, which is pretty obvious if you're going around the waist first and not uh, tidying up the ball or closing off the ball first and line breaks. But it does pose that question. I guess also too, Greg, I mean, how do you police? I know how you'd police this, but... It, how on earth do you work? It's such a fine line from the waist down. So what, any any shot that goes into my belly button, for instance, is that considered a penalty? I mean, it, it, do you think that's how they play it? Well, no, your, your belly button is effectively part and parcel of your waist. So I'm guessing what they're, what they're aiming for here is a lower body height from the tackler's perspective. Hmm. So you drive up rather than driving, uh, you know, just... Starting up, yeah. So there'll be less sort of tackling 
at the at the shoulder and and basically yeah starting from a much lower body height uh from your tackling stance mm, which i guess does beg the question where is the waistline i mean that that's what they're saying the waist yeah, I, mean, I, can... <laughs> I mean do they have to do you have to roll out Say you put a jersey on them that's got a, a a fluorescent strip that goes around the the line of where they want you to hit. I mean, is it in? Is it around your waist? Is it up at your belly button? Is it underneath your ribs? I, I guess if you know exactly where that line is, then you can start to target it. Yeah. Well, how do you police it though? It really is. It's, it's open to interpretation. It's um, going to make a great game for the shorter guys in the game. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have a much a much smaller target area for people to hit. <laughs> it might change the body shape of of those that uh, you know that the the coaches might be targeting in the future. So smaller rugby players over there, um, you've now got yourself a, a bit of a a bit of a better better leg up, so to speak. Good on you, Greg, mate. We've got a bolt. Thank you for giving us a ring this morning, and thanks for having uh, that say. I appreciate that. It's twenty one and a half minutes after eleven for our Sydney listeners on eleven seventy AM Sydney twenty one and a bit after ten for our Queensland listeners. Back after this, we'll do top tips. Uh, score update from the Australian Open. Thanks to Bing Lee, day five of action. So round three continuing. Margaret Court Arena has uh, Yannick Sinner on there against Martin Fuksovic, and it's one all in the first. So it's uh, on serve as we speak. The opening match on Rod Laver Arena today is the women's singles round three match between Barbora Krechikova and Annalena Kanalina. And uh, Krechikova's off to a good start here. She's already broken, so she leads two games to love. And Kalanina is trying to fight back into that one, but two love there. Thanks to Bing Lee. All right, a few text messages. We'll get to a news break. And then afterwards, we'll catch up with Chris Nelson and get some top tips for the racing both tonight and tomorrow. Guys, uh, this one from PJ. It's not about owing PVL. Uh, This is off the back of Tommy uh, mentioning the fact that, you know, obviously when the game was saved throughout COVID, how, how long is the credits in the bank for? It reminds you, says PJ, that he is the best in the business and looking after the game as a whole. The players are looking at only one aspect themselves. Remember when COVID rolled around, it became quite clear just how poor the game's finances were. If the game didn't continue, it could very well have been a very different story. PVL has a responsibility to ensure he grows and maintains an attainable model, sustainable, I think he meant to say, um, something the players will benefit from well into the future. Uh, thank you for that, PJ. Maddie. I think the tennis scheduling is awesome as it is. Thank you, Jay. Like a penalty shootout in football or a poor call from a European ref in rugby union, it's what sets the game apart from other events. It's certainly different. Like I said, you've got to be prepared for anything, don't you? Absolutely anything and everything. Pedro says, be careful what you wish for, Tommy. Who replaces PVL? Um, well, Pedro, Tommy wasn't saying let's replace PVL. He was saying, how long do you sort of go back to that? I said to him, hey, it's a fairly sizable um, notch in the belt, so to speak. One of many that Peter Volandis has done in running this game and keeping it afloat. And our previous texter there was bang on the money. What COVID did was show just how perilous the situation was for everybody. And of course, the players are thinking about themselves here that's that's 
that's what it's all about. I mean, they're thinking about themselves, but they're also thinking about uh, past players, those that will be injured in the future. They're thinking across the board for the women's side of the game, the men's side of the game. That's that's what they're at the other side of the table for. And guess what? The NRL is thinking about itself and its sustainability. Isn't that part of the deal? Just got back from Melbourne, Australian Open. Reasons they should change. Channel 9 says Brett are leaving so much content out of prime time. Why not start the match day at 9am instead of 11am? We've been through that. And why he says we were at the Popperin game. Hardly anyone was staying when we left at 12.45. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you just don't know. There is no end time, is there? You don't know when it's going to wrap up. So you can't really say, well, okay, we're going to be home at 11.30 and we'll get three hours, four, five hours sleep and then jump on the 6am and come on home. You just don't know. That's the risk you take it watching a match. Um, it's not ideal, but that's what it is. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Tommy's Tribune is coming up very soon. So fire on in your headlines around Rugby Union v Rugby League or Eddie Jones's return to the Wallabies. Uh, you're also looking for headlines from the tennis and what you could do. How, how do you put into what happened last night and this morning and the kerfuffle around the late finishes into a headline? Have you got something around that for us? And the players v the establishment in rugby league. We need a headline as to how it's going to end. That's what we want. A headline as to how this battle, this stalemate ends. 0457 736 736 is the text line. So get them coming on through. Spud from Ashfield. Nice to hear from you, Spud. Surely all of Australia fell in love with Alexi Popperin after his post-match speech last night. Nick who? He says, says Bud, well, wow, wasn't it? It was just wonderful to watch. I did see Nick Kyrgios uh, on Twitter shouting out his good mate, Thanasi Kokonakis, as well, playing sick. Uh, I think it was, he said, love you, bro, all that kind of stuff. Um, but a big shout out from Nick to Thanasi. But Thanasi's out of the singles and Alexi Popperin and Alex Demonor are the two remaining Aussies in the singles on either side, men's or women's. Um, we're down to the final two. All righty, so get those uh, get those headlines in. We've got a Signet Boost power bank to the one that Tommy gives the biggest tick of approval to. Time to do some top tips uh, for the first time in 2023 with our SEN track analyst, Chris Nelson, who's on the line. G'day, Chris. Matty, great to be with you again. Happy New Year to you. Uh, Happy New Year to all uh, the listeners and hope everyone had a great Christmas. All right, let's reset, mate. Let's reset for 2023. Let's let's just come out of the blocks flying and find winners. By the way, good to see Magic Millions finally getting done uh, yesterday after that uh, deferral and all the weather dramas that we had. So the focus for you in your backyard, the Sunshine Coast, um, race meeting tonight. So this will be a beauty. Let's start there for our listeners uh, race four on the card. So local time, it'll start at 6.25, the meeting. It'll go through till, what, 10 o'clock. Um, so race yep. four, smack bang in the middle. Let's have a look at this one. Yeah, I just wanted to throw these in because I think these are a couple of good bets to get our uh, weekend punting off on a good note. Race four, number nine, Party Spirit. Uh, Rob Heathcote trains. Georgie Cartwright will ride. Now, she's only had the two starts. And they were her first preparation. She was very good uh, in town on debut, running home along the fence. She didn't get a lot of room. And then she came to the Sunshine Coast at start number two. Now, she dropped back 100 metres, which wasn't ideal, but she still did a terrific job. She was beaten an eyelash, and she raced four wide the entire trip. She, she really would have won that race with an ounce of luck. Now, she resumes here tonight. No trials, which is interesting. 
So we need to keep an eye on the market. Unless she's a real market drifter, I think she can win first up. So I'm pretty keen on her chances. Race four, number nine, Party Spirit. Race five, then's the another maiden, the maiden handicap over a thousand. Yeah, number twelve here, Idonius, Kelly Schweder and Taylor Marshall. Not far away, uh, her past couple. Now she ran on well at Ipswich two back. She drew a wide gate there, was taken back from the start, ran on. And then last time out at Eagle Farm, she led. She did a great job in front. She was only run down inside the last 50 metres. So she's down in grade. Uh, this is a much more suitable race. She's drawn a beautiful gate. Taylor Marshall can either sit just off them or if he wants to lead, he can do so here. Whatever the case, I think this is uh, a very good bet at a very good price, around 4 or $5 uh, this morning. So race five, number 12, Idonius. Okay, so that's Sunshine Coast tonight. Now let's look ahead to the weekend, mate. A uh, fair bit of rain around in Sydney. What's the forecast like for your neck of the woods as we look towards Doombin? Not bad at all. We've uh, we've got maybe the odd shower here and there, but not much. Uh, we're on a probably soft five good track, so I don't think it'll get any worse than that. Having said that, the uh, the rain in Queensland the last week, it seems to come from nowhere when least expected, <laughs> i.e. Magic Millions Day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, we, we should be okay for tomorrow, Matty. Okay, race two, Doombin. Let's start there. Yeah, these are all shortish, so we might go a, uh, a multi. Uh, race two, number two, Zarina Sophia. Gerald Ryan, Sterling, Alexi, who bring this one up from Sydney. I like the run last start. Gets an extra 100 metres this time around. Now, through the line at that latest front at Canterbury was quite strong. Obviously, looking for further, this is not a strong race. Draws okay, should be winning. Race two, number two, Zarina Sophia. Okay, 1,200 metres again for race three. Yeah, Tony Gollan had a big day, as we know, at the Gold Coast on Thursday, winning the Magic Billions. I think he's in for another big day at Doombin tomorrow. Uh, race three, number four, busting. Last start was on Wave Day, the week before the uh, the Magic Millions. Uh, ran second to Jun Quira, one of John O'Shea's. It looked very promising that J-Mac Road beat the rest of them by a, a space. And I thought it was a very good effort. Previous two starts had been two wins at the Gold Coast. Promising, in the right stable, I think can win. Can win. Return to the winner's list, make it three from four. Race three, number four. Race three, number four. And uh, race seven. So there's nine races on the card at Doombin tomorrow. So race seven. Yeah, another one for Tony Gollum here. Number 11, Vaccine. She's a good mare. She's very consistent. She comes out of that wave day racing at uh, the Gold Coast as well now. That day, it was very, very hard to make any ground. Not many horses did. She did. She uh, steps up a little in distance tomorrow. I think she'll be very, very hard to beat. Race 7, number 11, vaccine. All right. And you've got one for us at Ramwick. So a 10-race card at Ramwick. Um, Let's see what the weather's doing here. But we'll go smack bang in the middle, mate. What have you got for race 5? Bjorn Baker's got one, Matty. Really quick she is. Race 5, number 5, Fassi Giata. She's unbeaten. Her latest win was on a heavy track. So no matter what the conditions, they won't worry her. What I love about her, she's old school. They just let her run, fly along in front, catch me if you can, handlebars down stuff, and I think she'll do that again tomorrow. So race five, number five, Passi Giata. Good on you, Chris. Enjoy tonight. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Matty. Independent, trustworthy and dazzling. Time now for Tommy's Tribune. That's official. It is absolutely official. Tommy's Tribune. Uh, so we did one earlier in the week, didn't we? We just we couldn't hold yes. our guns. We had to fire off early in the week because we were so excited to be back. But we need – this is our first sort of predictive headline about what may happen, and this is the first time that a Signet Boost power bank is up for grabs. Yes. Of 2023. Is that right? Or we oh, one? we gave one away we on gave, Monday. Gave one yeah. away. But this is the predictive headlines. This is where we get to have a bit, have a bit of fun. Yeah. 
So you're looking for the players v NRL headquarters. Uh, you're looking for tennis late night finishes, early morning finishes, what we can do around that. And also the Eddie Jones factor when it comes to rugby union. Actually, just while you're sorting out some of the headlines that are coming through, I'll read you just a couple of texts that have come through. Uh, Greg from Gundagai, been listening all day. I'm an out-and-out rugby league man. I've never had much interest in rugby. Oh, there's Luke, one of our other listeners. But he says that all changed (laughs) when Rugby Australia signed Eddie Jones. I'm so interested and excited to see what Eddie's going to do and who he signs from rugby league. Well, for the first time in a while, Matty, there's optimism with rugby in the country, and that's only a good thing. True. Uh, On the tennis factor, Brett says it's simple. Two women's matches on one court from 7 p.m. So that'll take – so obviously back-to-back. That will take your content to a minimum 11 p.m., right? Yep. And then one men's on another gets you to 10, 15 minimum. Hmm. Would happen, won't happen because most people buy their tickets around the men's matches. I think you're saying sort of 12, 15. So, so if you have, if you have, say, Novak, Novak playing on Rod Laver um, tonight at seven o'clock, and then you've got two women's matches back to back on on Margaret Court Arena. Yeah. But then again, Rod Laver's bigger than Margaret Court, yes, capacity wise. Oh, yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. But then again, I, I would assume only that some of the women players would be like, well, hang on, why aren't we playing on the biggest? That's exactly it. Let's go. Come on. That's, that's exactly it. So, sorry, yeah, around ten. A lot I of see what you're saying. So, so you're saying that on, on one, Brett's saying on one court, put two women's matches back to back. So say they go for six hours. I'll, I'll just sort of work with your timings and then go outside. But say they go for six hours in total. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, four three hours. hours in total, four yep. hours. And then on the men's side, then that match itself goes for the similar time. Plus, you've got, and then you got the post post game wrap. It's, it's about equal footy. Yes. It's about equal billing, and they want to play on centre court. But then again, the WTA would not be a fan of that at all. We should be allowed the to be able to play all the women's the women's um, players. We should be able to allow, uh, be able to play on yeah. the biggest arena. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> believe me, when the leading players say, uh, "You know, I'll be I'll be playing on centre court tonight," thanks, okay. mate. And also, this time last year, can you imagine if we we put Ash Barty and Margaret Court instead of Rod Laver Arena? Well, Nick Kyrgios likes to play next door. Yeah, he likes playing at John Kane Arena. Yeah, he, the he, atmosphere. He likes it. A lot more there. rowdy fans there. That's right. Um, but a lot of them, you know, Roger Federer, it was almost exclusively, yes. if not uh, <laughs> RLA. A hundred percent. And yeah. like, I, I mean. When I went, uh, I was a teenager. I, I couldn't get tickets to Rod Laver, but I'm not sitting there saying, Roger, you have to play at, it was called High Sense Arena at the time. You have yeah. to play, no, it's Roger Federer. He did have a match of at course, High Sense once. You understand he only plays at the big events. And, and that's, he, do you that's remember fine. there was the famous quote where he said he have to check where it is? Yeah. And then the match, the, his opposition pulled out. I can't remember his name. So he ended up not, not playing out there, mm. um, which is extraordinary. So all, all this stuff goes into play. I mean, the schedule that will come out for tomorrow will only really be decided later this afternoon. Yeah. And it, there will be all this in play, which is tournament organisers, you know, your, your normal run-of-the-mill schedulers. Um, then you'll have the players themselves mm-hmm. and the broadcasters. They're all in the same meetings. They, they don't just – you don't get a sheet of paper saying this is this what is it is. It. Yeah. That, that sheet of paper takes a while to get to it. Well, Speaking of the tennis, uh, let you down. I haven't come up with a headline for the tennis and the late finishers, so apologies there. But Mark has. Worry, I've yeah. got so I've, I've, I've got two I've, for the tennis. One of the Passed proudest. It off to Mark. One of the proudest, if not the proud, the only Scott in the building. Yes. Um, so the, the Scotsman has come in just absolutely skipping this morning, although you didn't go the distance, did you? 
No, I wasn't staying up till 4 a.m. What type of channel, supporter yeah. are you? Hey? I sat up to 2 a.m. The type of supporter that has to get up at 7 a.m. for this show. Wambulance. Oh, you could have still done that. Andy Murray doesn't like you, mate. He doesn't. Well, no, he does. He's thinking about you. Yeah, see, I, I appreciate you. <laughs> That's what he said. He's a lovely guy. <laughs> All right, so you've got a headline around the tennis. Yeah, I've kind of got two that are kind of around the same theme. but uh, Nice. Oh, so uh, it is Hurry Murray. Hurry Murray. Hurry As he get it over and done with. Yep, I uh, like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, so this I'll, is, I'll awesome. give you a tick. I'll give you a tick oh, there. Yeah, I need to click my own button. There we are. Yeah. Um, and the other one uh, is a gut check. A gut check. So next round of the oh yes, uh, I know. third round, Andy Murray is playing Batista, Roberto Batista Agut. Agut, Agut. Uh, yeah. And Murray ends the 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 matches, uh, the long matches. This is a two-hour match for Murray in the next game. <laughs> ends 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 all this annoyance. Hammers a gut. Three sets, wow. easy, gone, yeah. done in two That's hours. A, I like it. Yeah, yeah. You can give yourself another tip. Check. Do you know why he wants to get home so early? Because when he gets there at the next day and has to go through all the security checks, that bloody metal hip of his just oh, keeps yeah. beeping off when he goes through the the machine. So that's got to take him a good couple of hours to get through the scanners. Poor old bloke. Surely they just give you like a card or something. When you've no, no, got you, like a, yeah, you do. Yeah. You get a piece of paperwork. Uh, they, okay. Don't so worry. Got, they're not, they're uh, not yeah. waving the wand over Andy Murray. I don't think he's I waiting. Joking. I, don't th- I know, but I don't think he's yeah, waiting in customs. He's probably got his own little jet. Uh, okay, I've got two headlines here. Um, my first one, PVL, please value lives. What? PVL, this, the yeah. RLPA boycott. PVL, please value lives. Value the lives of the players, PVL. Give me a tick. Give me a tick, man. What is that harsh? Oh no, that's. Yeah, like it? No. <laughs> is that a bit too harsh? Only because you're suggesting that he doesn't. Well, no, I'm just suggesting maybe value them a bit more. <laughs> that's all. No, I'm, I'm okay, so you, the you put here. in a you put in a subheading there. Yeah. BVLPs value lives, and then a subheading a bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. Dot dot dot. Uh, I've got one for Eddie Jones and the Wallabies. Ready, ready, Eddie leads Wallabies to confetti. So 2023 Rugby World Cup in France. You can just picture now the Wallabies win. They beat the All Blacks. Pop, out comes, out comes the confetti. Ticket tape parade. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Oh, we haven't had one. Obviously, because of COVID, we haven't had one for ages. A ticket tape parade. No. Ooh, let's get the market going. Yeah. What's the next Australian team squad um, to get a ticket tape parade? Well, Is that like an open top bus tour? Is that like yeah, like yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, if if we win five 0 over in UK, the Ashes, that'd be big. Would that? Would that? Nah, would you get wouldn't. a ticket tape parade off it that? It wouldn't, but I don't know. Wallabies probably. Mm. Wallabies World win. Cup. That's a ticket tape parade. Kangaroos didn't get anything for the World Cup last year. <laughs> Kangaroos didn't. No. Okay. Uh, was that it? That was it for me. That was it. That was it for me. All right. I've been hard at work here, so I haven't had any um, had any time to do so. Pedro says Wade waffles, Clint confusing, and PVL crickets. Yeah, I'll give it a tick. Uh, BP sleeps, <laughs> says Paramat. <laughs> Brett Phillips, in the biggest revelation of the day, admitted that he couldn't go the distance and, and actually had to get some sleep. So, yes, Paramat, he does. That's something that we found out about Brett Phillips throughout the Australian night. He does sleep. Well, you know, if the, you know, BP sleeping is a good indication of the matches are going for a bit too long. Well, that's, that's exactly what I think it was Brett earlier said yeah. that. And some of our other texters said, well, hang on a second. Oh, here's your man, Andy Murray. Um, He's got a bit of a limp. He does, honestly. Look at <laughs> of him. Of course he does. Mate, he is the most busted up bloke you'll ever see. Just so waddling through. So what's he had? It's it's approaching midday and he's he's back there. He's back and ready to 
Um, he's not playing today. He doesn't he? look in good shape. No, he, he looks never terrible. looks in good shape. He always looks miserable. That's the thing. I mean, he lived in Scotland for all his life, so why wouldn't he be? <laughs> hey, wow. Oh, sorry. Uh, end of year headline: uh, NRL team win twenty twenty three Rugby World Cup. I like it. Give it that's, a tick. That's pretty good. All right, who do we? Um, we'll give it to that. Give it to that person there. Yep. NRL team win twenty twenty three Rugby World Cup. Okay. There's and no. There's, a, there's another headline here as well from Azza Azza from Dy. Raider Eddie Jones, Raider of the Lost NRL Player. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Nice work, Azza. So, uh, who is it who gets that one? Is it Queensland Chets? Queensland Chets. You Queensland Chets. So, we've got a Signet Boost Power Bank coming your way. 4 5. So, Yannick, 4 uh, 3, rather. Fuksovics against Yannick Sinner on, uh, that's on Margaret Court Arena. Um, so, there's a break in that one. That score, thanks to Bing Lee. Round three of the Australian Open underway today. Back after this break to wrap it all up on this Friday morning. We're at the chequered flag, folks. So a couple of text messages to finish off for you. Morning, Matt. When you consider with the age of streaming, the home viewer can choose a variety of games, so no reason to stagnate matches. The crowds in the stadium didn't look full and really isn't the Australian Open a TV product now anyway. On a night when a few Aussies played, ultimately the choice needs to be the viewer, maybe. That one from the Brisbane Eel. And just one on the rugby league situation, where the next thing goes with the players in the NRL stoush, I think it'll be the players having no involvement with Nine and Fox. Without player involvement to the cash cow um, for PVL and the NRL, it'll force them to stop the bulldozer attitude and come to some solution. Um, If not, they're in hot water with TV money. Now, that's picking a fight that they're not going to win. And that's why they started with the NRL media and not the media as a whole. So who knows where it's going to go? We've followed it in and out the whole way through this week, we've followed some of the biggest uh, sporting storylines that have come our way, and it's only the first week back. We're still only in mid-January. Thank you for your uh, input throughout the week. We're going to come back on Monday morning and do it all again. So have a great weekend, everybody. Phil Pryor coming up.